Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season two, discuss the past, present, and future of marketing. Today, I have Nick Jaworski, the CEO of Circle Social, a marketing firm created to meet the needs of healthcare providers looking to connect patients to care. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Of course, and as I just said, I have to at least highlight your last name. I'm a big Eagles fan, so uh, it, it would I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't call you Jaws uh, at least once in this call. So yeah. <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. Um, but I want to open up with something that I know you care a lot about, uh, and that's mental health. So specifically, I think it was your LinkedIn that you mentioned you're a contrarian mental health advocate, which I uh, I think is really interesting. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you and maybe how it ties to your firm? Sure. So both myself and the firm are just really, really dedicated to behavioral health. So that tends to be mental health struggles, depression, anxiety, OCD, you know, everything that people are familiar with, as well as addiction. We do a lot of substance use treatment marketing as well. Just super important to me. I went through some addiction treatment when I was 18, 19, had a really bad experience with it. And so that stuck with me for a long time. And you know, a decade later, I started building the marketing company. Uh, but that was a big motivator for it. And then on top of that, the contrarian piece, we look at data and results in a, a pretty unique way, I guess I would say, both in terms of how we're achieving connecting patients to care from the marketing side. We tend to do a lot of integrated strategies that other agencies don't do. And so that's a little bit contrarian, I guess. But the other part is really around the messaging within the space. So a lot of uh, addiction treatment and mental health can be a little frou-frou. There's not a lot of research behind it. There's a lot of evidence out there in terms of what works, but that doesn't necessarily disseminate into the field. And so I spend a lot of my time and time with the team looking at what's really efficacious from a treatment standpoint. And then we actually work pretty hard to educate our clients and providers around that so that then we're communicating that into the communities that they're serving in. And they become thought leaders, they, they help educate, they help inform and inspire people through the content we create in the marketing campaigns. And so it's a unique approach. Um, it's interesting, interesting discussions all the time. But that's where the contrarian piece comes in as we really look at those uh, different ways of understanding things to help people get connected to care. Well, I got to say thank you then, uh, because one of my good friends um, is kind of going through all of this right now. And and I, I'm about to ask a question about your podcast because I know, you know, that's really important to you. But uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you because, you know, the more resources that's out there, the better. Uh, some resources fit some people and some resources don't. So the more right. it can kind of be pushed out there, I think, is is just good for everything. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so yeah, I want to highlight your recovery executive podcast. Uh, and can you kind of just talk a little bit more about what that is? And, and honestly, like, why is it important that you started that? Sure. So maybe a little bit contrarian there, too. We saw a lot of gaps in the space around the business of addiction treatment and psych hospitals and behavioral health. And a lot of people come into it with a good heart, right? They're, they're clinicians, they're therapists, and they want to help people, but they don't understand the business component of it. They don't understand marketing, they don't understand finance, they don't understand projections. And so I saw a huge opportunity to provide additional education there. So my background is a lot of operations before I started building the marketing company. And I just wanted to provide help to people and fill that gap. And so the, the Recovery Executive podcast was not connected to the business per se. It has eventually kind of evolved and, and become part of uh, who we are, our brand, our reputation, what we do. 
but it was created as a, a separate tool to really educate people and help communicate that for-profit aspect that's so important. So from our worldview, we work with a lot of nonprofits as well, about 30% of our clients are nonprofit, but 70% are for-profit. And those are the ones that tend to be more successful in terms of growth because they're reinvesting their capital, they're focused on capital expansion. And so they're able to help more people and they also tend to be more efficient in the care that they provide. So I grew up, you know, lower income. I had a very negative attitude towards business and profit and all that growing up. It was something that I learned to overcome as I started to work with bigger and bigger companies. I was like, wow, there's actually a huge advantage to a for-profit mindset when you do it right. Uh, so that was part of the podcast. And that's where the contrarian piece fits in there as well as we wanted to provide people the tools and information to grow a successful business to help more people and, and get rewarded for doing that uh, on top of just, you know, a nonprofit approach. Is there anything that you like learned through doing that podcast that you didn't even intend or didn't think was going to be or anything like that? I learned so much from podcasts. It's been phenomenal. I mean, obviously, if you listen to our first podcast, like most people, like the sound quality is terrible. There's no editing, (laughs) right? You know, so simple stuff uh, we learned. But I just connected with really great people in the space. And so most of the people I interview are executives or leaders of larger organizations. And through my conversations with them, I, I learned a ton and I built a lot of relationships. And so, for example, we actually run an executive roundtable every year, once a year, where the larger treatment providers in the country come together with the payers. So we get Cigna and Anthem and Aetna and these larger um, health insurance providers. And those relationships I built partly because of the podcast. And so I know everyone. I can pull people into the room and get them together. And that's a a unique ability that a lot of people don't have. And I, I thank the podcast for that. It really is a great resource to get, connect people. You know, like we can always send cold emails and we can always do things like that. But but this medium is just a great medium. It's it's not very business focused, right? And a lot of people, they do want to get out kind of the things that they've been working hard on their whole lives. So I think it's just a great kind of, uh, yeah, again, like medium for, for people to talk. So I think that's great. Uh, yeah. And I want to step back and can you tell us a little bit more about the firm? Sure. So I started the firm in 2016 out of my basement. Uh, we didn't have a basement, but you know, <laughs> garage, basement. One of the right. Ones. You know, I mean, I literally, I had my daughter at the time and we couldn't even afford to send her to daycare. And so I would have her at home and I'd actually go to these churches. So in Indiana, we have a lot of churches that provide play dates and, and opportunities for the kids to run around and play. So I'd take her to these different whole schedule, which, what churches had what days open and what times. Uh, so I'd go to those and I would work while she was just running around with the other kids and then eventually built it to a 40 plus person company, you know, multi-million dollar business. And it took a lot of work. It took a lot of effort. But part of our success is our, our intense focus on healthcare and connecting people to care. It's really important. It's a huge passion for everyone at the company. And that focus, if you're you know, other agency owners out there has really helped us. So many agencies are jacks of all trades and it's a model that can work usually locally, right? Because you build a local network or a local uh, reputation. But for us, we grew to be a national brand and we're one of the biggest behavioral healthcare marketing companies in the in the country because we niche down and we know the space inside and out. We know it extremely well. We know how to get results. We know the players. We have a reputation, 
all of this was able to come about because we were so laser focused on what we were doing. And we started off just with addiction treatment, then we expanded to behavioral health, then we expanded like acute psych, and then we expanded larger healthcare. Um, so just slowly growing it piece by piece, but it was, uh, it's been an interesting journey. I have loved it. Very, very different world from what I came from, uh, but it's also been incredibly rewarding at the same time. What's it like starting a business with a newborn? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I love it. I mean, I, honestly, looking back, I enjoy all of it, right? There's lots of moments of stress. You know, I mean, I tell people my first year in business, I paid myself a whopping $30,000, right? That's that's how much I was able to make. Uh, so it's a Type commitment. Money, essentially. Type of money. That was, that was <laughs> right. right you know? <laughs> so it's it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort and, and you got to made quite a few sacrifices, but we've eventually been able to incorporate the family aspect pretty well into the business. So I moved the team virtual in 2018. And so it allows me to work from wherever. And so if I want to go back and visit family, if we want to take a family vacation, you know, like we took a trip to Alaska uh, not too long ago. And from East Coast time, it's a four hour difference. So I get up at 4 a.m., I work until about one, get all my work done. And then I got the whole rest of the day open to spend time with the family. So that has been really nice for us. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a long road to get there. I'm currently in my sister's apartment in Denver visiting. So I, I hear you there. Uh, the waking up earlier and everything, I, I hear you. Um, you mentioned niche down and, and being, having a laser focus. So did your firm always work in the healthcare space or did you kind of over time figure out like that's, you know, you, you start to focus on that more and more? We pivoted within six months of me starting the firm. So by the end of 2016, I had made that decision. It was really scary because what I said is I said, I'm not going to focus on any other clients. I'm not going to reach out to different verticals. We're just going to go all in on this. And then we had to start spending money in that direction, right? So I dropped like 10 grand. Uh, I went and did a, a training with a, actually another smaller bigger than us at the time, a bigger agency. They were willing to come and kind of share a lot of their um, tactics and, and processes. And so I paid a whole bunch of money for that. And uh, it was extremely effective for us. So because I saw early on that we were bouncing between these different verticals and we didn't know it. We didn't know the space. What was my CPA supposed to be? What channels were most effective for this particular business line? Uh, so I wanted to be really good at what we did. And so I knew we needed to focus somewhere that we were able to develop that expertise. And then top of it, what gets me out of bed in the morning? Nothing wrong with running e-commerce or a roofing company or you know marketing for these other providers. It's fine. But for me, I had a personal passion around behavioral health. And so it just made sense as a starting point. And it allows us to make really effective decisions in that direction. Um, but yeah, it was just something that we did very early on that worked extremely well for us. Um, and I, I, I highly recommend that path to other agency owners is niche down where you can. I'm sure it's a lot easier to wake up every morning uh, focusing on something that you care about too. Um, I'm sure that's that's a big impact too. And we spoke before and you mentioned your firm actually kind of splits your services into two with the consulting and the marketing. So kind of staying on that topic of niching down, uh, did you start with both services? How did that all develop? What did that look like? Yeah. So, oh, Part of your other question was, how did we kind of get into behavioral health? We actually organically just had a couple of providers that we worked with in the beginning. And so as I was looking at where we wanted to go, we had two clients we we're already really successful with. So that helped that process. And then that feeds into 
The next question is why a consulting wing? So that's my background. I do operational consulting. I actually traveled the world for a decade and, and worked and did turnarounds or startups for schools. Uh, so Turkey, Vietnam, China, back in the U.S., and when we saw providers that we started to work with more and more, some did really well and some fell flat on their faces. Well, I knew the quality of the campaigns we were running. I knew that there shouldn't be that much of a gap between what we were doing here and what we're doing there. So why were some clients struggling so much? So I actually flew in on my own dime and just started going into their facilities and, and talking to the leadership teams, looking at their systems and processes and just saw tons of gaps. So decided that this was something that was personally very interesting to me. I liked the, the puzzles and the complexity of trying to build businesses and fix businesses and grow businesses. And it also supported us on the marketing growth end. So as we started to provide more and more services to clients, I learned a lot more about the business, which allowed us to improve the marketing side. And we'd have clients that would hire us on the consulting side, which would then often turn into marketing contracts as well. So it was a valuable service we were providing, but it also allowed us to grow the marketing side of things. Now it's actually a little bit different. Now I would say the consulting side limits our growth because I spend so much time on it. So I'm on the road like two weeks uh, the month, just traveling to different providers because the consulting side is, does pretty well. But consulting is very hard to scale. It takes up a lot of your time. It's very, very hard to find people with high levels of expertise that can go and, and do these really complex projects. So now it actually limits it because I'm spending too much time on the consulting side, but I like it. I mean, we, we do really well, right? As a business, we do really well personally. And so I'm not really concerned about um, going to the moon per se on the marketing side. So we're happy with the, the situation that we're in. But yeah, that's how it originally evolved is, is just a different way to help help people and, and provide different growth opportunities that then worked for us. And for someone that might be thinking of taking that route, right? Like maybe they are already on the marketing side and they're thinking about consulting. Are there any signs or is there anything that you kind of said, okay, you know, this is worth the effort or this maybe isn't worth the effort? And and also, you know, like how do you charge? Is it usually project-based? Is it retainer? You can take it that in any direction you want. I know I asked you. Yeah. So everything's value-based for us, right? So on the marketing side, we're mainly a retainer, right? Like most agencies, people pay up front. On the consulting side, it's project-based. And we have one-off projects, we have ongoing projects. So it just depends on what people want. But it's about the value that we deliver. So like with larger clients, we've gone in and saved them or helped them grow by 4 million a year in revenue uh, just with a short little three-month consulting project. So for them to get $4 million back from our work, I mean, they're happy to pay us 20, 30 grand, right? That's a drop in the bucket versus a return that they're getting. Um, so pricing is really about value. I mean, we could also probably charge more. I just, I'm just weird about it sometimes. <laughs> uh, but everything that we've done as a company is always about adding value. Like how do we better people's lives? How do we support them and their businesses and growth? And we don't charge until we're confident that we're able to do that. So like on the marketing side, when I started the marketing company, I found a couple uh, people I knew that had small businesses and we did marketing services for free for them for, for several months. And even all of our production, you know, content, marketing campaigns, management is very cheap. So we provided higher quality at a lower cost than other people in the marketplace. We did the same thing on the consulting side. So when I first started the consulting, like I said, I did it on my own dime, right? I paid for my own flights. I paid for my own hotels, went there, learned about it, saw opportunities where we could really provide value. And then we started providing that value. And then the first 
paying client we had, I charged them cost. I, I had them cover my travel expenses, but we didn't even charge them anything for the actual services being provided. After that, though, now we had a working model. We knew it added value. We knew clients were happy with it. We had some references under our belt. And then so then we started charging you know, big dollars and we started going from $5,000 projects to $30,000 projects. And now, I mean, we've got projects that are 100, 150,000 over six months um, at, with larger providers. We just did it piece by piece. You know, so I always tell people when you're building a business, some people just try and charge prices before they're worth the value uh, that they should be delivering. So I always say, make sure you can deliver that value first and take the risk on the front end, you know, go and donate your time for free, um, you know, do the whatever, pay the travel costs or invest in the technology or whatever it is. First, make sure it works, make sure clients are happy with it, they value with it, then actually start charging people for it. And that's been really successful for us as just an overall growth strategy. Interesting. I was going to ask, you know, why is, is pro bono work important to you? Like where did it fit in the business? So I, I think you kind of covered all, is there anything you want to add to that uh, on that? Or is you kind of covered that? Yeah. I mean, we do pro bono work for some nonprofits that we work still, with. Still today. Yeah. Still today. Right, okay. Yeah. But that's more on the nonprofit, like a giving back side, giving back is important to us. And so we, we do that on a regular basis. Um, the, the previous example is more about some model for growing a business, right? Provide the value first, validate it. And then once you've got some happy customers under your belt, over deliver, under charge, then you can then you can scale it. Well, I think this then is a good time to mention your mantra, which I think I found on your website, which is embrace, engage, and enrich. Because um, I think we're kind of dancing around that whole topic right yeah. now. So might as well dive in. Uh, how did you come up with that? What does it mean to you guys? Things like that. Yeah. I mean, I made it up when I first started the business, but I think as you can see from this conversation, it really embodies who we are, right? Embrace the, the communities, embrace the clients, embrace who we're working with, um, engage them, right? Find out what's working, what's not working, and then provide that value. Everything we do is about providing value. And so when I'm talking to the team, I say, okay, well, how do you provide value to the client? How do you provide value to each other? And then how do we provide value to the communities that we're marketing inside? Because even on our marketing campaign end, what I hate is when people try to just direct sell through marketing. I often say, oh, you're hungry? We got hamburgers. It's the worst marketing message in the world. Oh, you're struggling with addiction? We've got treatment. Yeah, it's just a bunch of junk. Whereas if you go and say, okay, here's what you need to do in terms of looking at, are you struggling with addiction? What's your level of severity? What does a good treatment provider look like? What are some options for self-help versus also professional services? Um, what actually causes addiction and what factors do I need to be looking at in my life? If I get a loved one through addiction, how do I do that? All of our campaigns are created around adding value and that creates trust with communities. And trust is what ultimately drives decision-making behavior. I'm never gonna buy from someone that I don't trust. And there's a direct correlation between cost and the trust needed. If you want to sell a 50 cent candy bar, ah, I don't need a lot of trust, right? 50 cents, who cares? I'll try it. I don't care if I lose the money and don't like it. But if you want me to pay a $5,000 insurance deductible to go to your treatment center, now I need a lot of trust. And so we really focus on adding value and building trust through marketing campaigns. And that's one of the main things that has made us really successful. Whereas so many marketers, whether it's internal uh, staff departments or external agencies, they're just trying to sell and selling doesn't work, especially for high cost items. 
Well, I came from the sales space. Uh, and to me, there's, you know, there's a bunch of one-liners and just little things that help, you know, especially new people in sales kind of get their footing. Um, so are, to you, are there any best practices or, you know, these one-liners to, to build trust? Uh, I don't know if I would go with one-liners so much. I mean, sure, there sure. are, you can find people that will use like buzzwords, like AI, right? Right. If I wanted to sell some things, I can throw AI into like we use AI in the back end to make decisions, right? That's going to pique someone's attention. And so it's a good attention getting tool, is, is what I say. But if you can't deliver that, if I find out that, okay, you talk a lot about AI, but you actually don't know how to use it, or you were lying and you actually don't have anything, you know, you're just making it up, then you break the trust and then that becomes your reputation in the marketplace. So even if I'm able to convert a couple of clients and I get them in, because I'm talking a lot about AI and tell them I'm an expert, even though I'm not, and then they work with us and they find out that, well, now one, we lose a contract. And then two, they tell everyone they know and we get bad online reviews and things like that. And so the trust is is critical. So one-liners are great for getting attention, um, but you still have to do the hard work of, of building the trust. And the one-liner is not a gimmick. What I always tell people is you have to have a strategy, not just tactics. If you're using gimmicks to attract clients, you're eventually going to shoot yourself in the foot because that bad reputation will catch up to you if you don't deliver on what you're talking about. If you can deliver on it, it's great. It's great intro. That was I, that was great. And, and then speaking of AI, when obviously so many things changing right now, what have you seen really the biggest things that you've seen change over the past few years in the marketing space? Hmm, that's probably a tough question for me to answer. I am not as on top of like the changes and and whatever's going on in the marketing side. That's actually my department heads. So my department heads come to me and say, "Hey, we see some new tools out here for content writing, outlining. So we've got a couple AI tools that help with outlining for content, and they'll help do the SEO keyword research and things like that." Right. So the team comes to me with stuff, and then I look at it and say, "Okay, is it in the budget? Does this make sense? Is it going to help?" And then we'll do it that way. So I'm not on, on top of things as much as other people might be. I, I would say the only thing that we are looking at a little bit is some of the AI, but for mm -hmm. us, it's still very derivative. And we need a really strong human element to what we write. There has to be a lot of emotional impact. AI is still not great with that. And then on top of that, we're always looking at providing new and useful information. So at the end of the day, AI is just taking a bunch of stuff from different places and throwing it together. Well, what I always tell the team is, like I said, the worst thing that I can see is the top three Google search results rehashed as our article. I said, I never want to see that. I don't want to see a Wikipedia article or just a rehash of the top three. I want unique, original content that's actually going to help people. So how do we synthesize it differently? How do we find or input new information that's going to be more valuable to the audience? But you have to understand the psychology of the audience, you know, right audience, right message, right time. Pretty simple. It's always the way that marketing works at the end of the day. And if we're not doing that, then, then we're not doing a service to our to our clients or their patients. Well, then we'll see if this question goes anywhere. If you want to skip it, we can totally, totally do it. But then what, is, what do you see as your prediction maybe for marketing in the next 10 years? Hmm. Oh, man, it's such a, I think, I, let me give a couple of comments. It's a really hard question. I think there's always going to be a really strong need for a human element 
It's just critical. I mean, we've even taken over accounts where people are using AI on the back end and they're running scripts and everything for the Google AdWords, right? And we come in and we'll do a 20% CPA reduction by having a human also on top of it. And so when you look at good AI, even like chess, chess is really interesting. You know, if you take like Deep Blue, it can beat the best chess players out there. But then if you have to start combining humans with AI, and so you now have these, these team chess tournaments where you can have a couple AI modules and, and humans on top of it, it's a completely different way of working. And they found that the AI cannot beat the team human combinations. And so there's a value add there with the strategy and the creativity that the AI can't bring to the table. The AI just has an ability to run massive amounts of quick computations, right? So I can statistically understand, you know, based on these movement patterns, what's going to happen. But I don't have, the AI doesn't have the ability to create strategy or new thought processes and really combine information in novel ways. So for us, that's always going to be critical is that value there. The other side of it, though, is I hate fluff, right? A lot of marketing agencies and one of the reasons that I think we've been successful is we're very performance based. So a lot of especially older school agencies, I'll talk about branding and colors and fonts and telling your story and content is king. It's all about relationships, blah, 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 blah. That stuff is an important part of marketing, but only if it gets you the result that you're looking for. So at the end of the day, what about a brand matters for connecting patients to care? What about the colors of fonts would actually change in terms of how many people are going to see a website and make a call? So like that's what we want is we want that result aspect. And so the strategy is important, the creative thought process is important. I still need the data on the back end. So at the end, it's that collaboration, right? I can get the, the machine learning and the AI to run those data sets for me at really fast times and huge amounts of data, but I still need the human component to strategically look at how that works and think about the psychology of the, the audience we're reaching and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad I asked that then. That was, <laughs> that was, that was very good. So a um, few questions I tend to ask at the end. If you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Honestly, what we work on with the team is really understanding the audience. It's probably number one. When we look at, you know, how do you run a Facebook campaign? How do you set up a marketing funnel? How do you think about capital allocation on different channels? That stuff can be taught, you know, kind of with videos and, and just step-by-step -step processes. You know, you have your internal checklist to make sure that the team's doing it. But I think where the differentiation lies and what I've actually found over time, and I learned this when I first started the company, I thought it was all about data, right? I'm like, oh, we're data driven and we're performance based. And so we just got to use the numbers here. But I realized that more and more the creative is king. At the end of the day, really good creative performs anywhere from four to seven times better than bad creative. And so it doesn't matter what the data is telling me. I need good creative at the outset. And so how do we do that? And it's all about the right audience with the right message. So I think that's probably one of the things I would focus on teaching because that's what I focus on with our team a lot of the time. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. What do you enjoy talking about the most that you normally don't get an opportunity to talk about? It can be marketing, it can be business, it can be anything you want. That great shirt you're wearing, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? I don't talk about a lot. I talk about business a lot, right? So that's you can go down that avenue. world. So that's not where where I want to be. I'd say what's interesting to me is books. I, I love talking about books, different books. I'm a huge fantasy sci-fi guy, so I, I can sit for hours and talk to people about different fantasy book series. 
Um, but I also read a lot of nonfiction. I read a lot of leadership. I read a lot of um, history, philosophy, things like that. Um, so books, I think, would be the number one. Well, we talked about this about three seconds before we started, but I said my last question was going to be uh, books and podcast re- recommendation. And I'll give you the floor to say whatever you want, but I love philosophy. So if you have at least one or two that you can add for philosophy, that would be great, but go any direction that you want to. Sure. So the best, so I've, I've actually read three phenomenal books in a row very recently. So I'll mention them. Um, what is the price of time by Edward Chancellor? It is phenomenal. It, it's a banking book. It's about the history of interest, but it is phenomenal. So what I see in my world is a lot of failures in the business world. People throwing a lot of money at, at I call it dumb money. It's going in, in bad directions. Doesn't make sense. Or they're paying too much for businesses or they're investing in the wrong place. And there's a lot of it to do with interest. So it's just a fascinating book that really looks at the history of capital flows and how interest affects that and when markets get hot and very interesting. Um, other one would be, uh, how do you say his name? I don't remember. I think it's Harari, if I remember right, but Sapiens. Oh, I love that Phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. It's just so interesting. It will definitely allow you to shift your perspective on a lot of things. Oh. And it, I just found it fascinating. Yuval something, right? Yuval. Yeah, Yuval Harari or something like that. Yeah. I'm usually uh, really proud when people say a book and I go, I, again, I'm not at my place right now. And I, I grab it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually probably the most recommended book on the podcast, to be honest. It's, so, uh, so good. And they do two yeah. more would be David Epstein's Range. Amazing. He takes multiple ideas from different uh, verticals, different professions, different sectors, different um, regions of academia and, and puts them together. Really, really good. And then the last one would be um, Clayton Christensen and uh, the Innovator's Dilemma. And then he did the Innovator's Solution. All, all highly, highly recommend all of those books. They're just really good. Any like old school philosophy that, you, that you've read? Old school philosophy. I'm just looking at what's on my shelf. Um, so I used to read a lot of Foucault, uh, which is complicated and out there. Um, so La Michelle Foucault, I used to read, I even used to read Lacan and, and Derrida back in the day. Um, those are my big guys. I like the postmodernists. I got a little bit into ex- existentialism back in the day, but not so much of these anymore. Um, I think I got my Simone de Beauvoir book somewhere right here. There we go. There we go. I get to pull one book out for this one. <laughs> nice. Um, perfect. And then, okay. My actual last question is, are you looking to hire any positions right now? Oh, that's actually a good question. So not immediately, but I'd say within the next month or so, we're probably going to be bringing on some entry-level roles. Uh, so we need someone on the content marketing side. We need an SEO specialist. And then we are looking at bringing on a, a paid media manager probably in a couple months. So we actually combine that role with another one and we're looking to separate it back out again. Um, so yeah, content writing, SEO specialist and paid media management. So maybe right when the episode comes out in a, in a month or two. Yeah. Uh, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Sure. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So very happy to connect with people on LinkedIn, Nick Jaworski. Otherwise, you're more than welcome to email me. So nick at circlesocialinc.com. You can find it through the website too, circlesocialinc.com. But yeah, always happy to chat, talk business. And uh, it was hard for me when I first started the marketing company. I talked to a lot of people. I would go to a lot of meetings. Uh, and it was hard for me. I'd pay like, you know, you'd go to these like dinners with these executives and it's like 40 bucks was a big deal for me. And so I'm like, oh my God. 
but I learned a ton. I learned a ton. So I'm happy to return that favor. If you just want to do an online coffee chat, always happy to talk through business challenges. That's great. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Nick, you were the easiest guest. <laughs> thank you so much. This was, I keep looking at the time. I'm like, man, I think we're going to go over and everything. So uh, this is great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.